You are entering the Freedom Hut. America, it's time for a bigly backlash. Seattle's police retake the Chaz. How they make attackers into victims across the country. A billion dollar cut for the NYPD. New gender language you're supposed to use and so much more. This, this is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission, or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One Make no mistake. America, great. you're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, welcome, everybody, to the Buck Sexton Show. An honor, a privilege, and a pleasure to have you here with me. Thank you so much for joining. So I want to get right to it because you may have seen last night the uh, individual, the the husband of the duo from out in St. Louis who had had the temerity to try and defend himself, his home, his family from an angry mob threatening to kill them. Uh, Of course, now... This has settled into two camps. The two political parties represent different sides of this issue. Now, on the one hand, you have Republicans who meekly and and sort of quietly out of the side of their mouth will say, yes, you, you should be able to. I mean, come on, you should be able to defend yourself. Right. And then you have Democrats who are like, this is racist. Trump was all about retweeting it. And they're all freaking out saying that these are peaceful protesters. I'm pretty sure it's illegal to threaten to kill somebody, especially as part of a mob that's rampaging through a neighborhood. But we all know that the multi-million, uh, multimillionaire overpaid babies on CNN, for example, take the position that, you know, how, how dare you stop these new civil rights heroes who are traipsing through your front yard and threatening to kill you? How dare you stand in front of your home with your lawfully registered and owned firearm? Well, why is it such a problem? They ever want to stop? Oh, they were so peaceful. Oh, they just they just wanted to have their voices heard. We will deal. There's an essential lie. There's a very important component of this that I think has gotten not nearly enough attention. I'll return to it in just one moment. But here's Mark McCloskey, the St. Louis man with a pink polo and an AR-15, who has become something of a symbol, because I can tell you this right now, if I were in his shoes, his no-socks loafers, if you will, uh, I would certainly have been standing out in front of my home. I would have had a little bit better muzzle discipline, but... Not everyone has spent as much time at the range as other folks have, right? But here is how this is being discussed, or here, here's what he wants you to know. Play clip six. I saw it all going up in flames and my life destroyed in an instant, and I did what I thought I had to do to protect my hearth, my home, and my family. Well, no one was protecting you, and they were screaming at you and threatening you and threatening to murder your dog and harm you and your wife. What do you make of the attacks on you for doing what we used to believe every homeowner had an obligation to do? Why are they denouncing you, know, you as a racist? I don't understand. And, you know, here's, a, here's the interesting thing. I've spent my career defending people that are defenseless, for people that are having a hard time making their miracle happen, for people that don't have a voice. My black clients love us. 
The night that this happened, I had some of our black clients calling us up till 2.30 in the morning, telling us how wrong it was the way the press was writing us up, telling how wrong it was that, that we should be portrayed as racist. This is what I do for a living. I, I help people that are down and that need a hand and the people that need a voice. To call us racist is ridiculous. But it's necessary for the narrative. It's necessary because the symbolism of someone defending his home and using the Second Amendment to do it is an affront to this leftist movement. It doesn't matter what was said. It doesn't matter what the real threat was. The left does not care. In fact, I can tell you this right now. If they had stormed this man's house, let's say they had actually started throwing rocks and, and some of these protesters had tried to rush him, which obviously you'd think who would do that when someone has a weapon, but maybe they think he's not going to use it. And he did have to use this weapon in defense of his home. I guarantee you every Democrat in the country that would speak on this issue would be saying he needs to be tried for murder. Not allowed to defend your home. How dare you? There's a movement. Don't you understand what's at stake here? Don't you see the civil rights implications of these marchers in the streets? Oh, the marchers like the ones, you know, the protesters and the rioters like the ones here in New York who last night were chanting at the NYPD, NYPD, suck my blank. These are the new civil rights heroes. Oh, no, Buck, that was just one time. Really? What about pigs in a blanket? Fry them like bacon. What about the time that I heard over a month ago? My own ears, my own eyes. Protesters screaming that horrid phrase at the NYPD. What about the protesters down in City Hall who were caught on video here in New York Mocking the NYPD, saying they're so dumb, they didn't go to fancy colleges, can they even read? Saying this to officers, including a black officer that one of them went up to and said was a race traitor. CNN treats these people like they have a valid grievance. MSNBC thinks that they're civil rights heroes. The New York Times backs them to the hilt. In fact, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Lib Media seems to have taken the approach that because they're worried about their position in society and their power and their influence in the Trump era, if they have to burn down this country, if they have to encourage the mob, incite the mob to ruin and riot, great. If they can't have it, no one can. Burn it all down. These people are a disgrace. I don't have a disagreement with them. I think they are odious. That's not the same thing. That's how, that's how I feel about all of the mainstream media pundits and reporters and all them. And, of course, the protesters on the streets who are doing these things. They're appalling. You don't hear much about it on some of the channels, do you? Why, why would anyone think that an officer who's done nothing wrong, the Democrat leadership, Biden and Pelosi and Schumer, will say, well, you know, we know there are a lot of good cops. R really? Because your protesters out on the street go up to cops at random spin at them, throw things at them, say the most horrible things to them. So are they going after just the bad cops? Is that, is that your because they go after cops all over the place constantly that they've just met who have done nothing. This is all a fraud. This is all a fraud. But I wanted to get to what St. Louis has really exposed. Why does this why does this bother the Democrats so much? Why are they so upset by this? Because this could be the beginning of a backlash, not just in rhetorical terms, but in terms of individual citizens who say enough. 
who say that they will stand up to the mob. They will defend themselves and their property. No more looting, no more rioting. It might also encourage the feckless and weak Republican Party that has done almost nothing to protect people in their homes and their rights during this time of anarchy and mob rage. Perhaps the Republicans will recognize that they have some authority and some power here, too. Trump is saying that now they're going to arrest people for attacking statues. I want to see these prosecutions. I want to see the fullest, the fullest extent of the law used to punish people who believe that they're above the law. But there's something else here that I think you must remember. Why did McCloskey in St. Louis really strike such a nerve? He didn't. Did he harm anyone? Did he kill anyone? Did he wound anyone? No, he did nothing except stand outside his home on private property with his lawful firearm, making it clear that if they were going to try to burn out his house and kill him and his family, he was going to fight back and that a few of them were going to go down in the process. That's often all you need for a bully or for a mob to know that they're not going to go forward with this. If they think they're going to get hurt, too. Whoa, hold on a second. Now, this this isn't all fun and games anymore. Who wants to be the first three across the threshold of that man's house that may get hit with a five, five, six round? That sends a very different message to the protesters, doesn't it? All of a sudden, they're not in this position to have you cower in fear. They can protest on public property. They can protest as long as they abide by the law. But more importantly than anything else, they can protest as long as they don't think that that means that people will all have to hide in their own homes in fear, hoping the mob doesn't turn on them. You see, that's the part of this that you won't hear from the media. You're supposed to be scared of this mob if you don't agree with it. You're supposed to be fearful to hide. You're not supposed to stand up and say, you know, you have your right to free speech. I have my right to self-defense, to private property, and to defend myself and my family. They want you to think that you're not allowed to do that. They want you to believe that there's always this threat of force in the background the mob has. We've seen them use it. Why have there been so many instances of these protests? And we know there have been protest movements, the Tea Party, of course, but there have been protest movements that were nonviolent, that were law-abiding and peaceful. Tea Party was entirely peaceful and entirely nonviolent, but they had a message. This is about more than that. These are revolutionaries who were hiding among a body of larger protesters so that then they could always have this mostly peaceful construct to defend them. Oh, no, it was mostly peaceful. There were 100 protesters. Only 30 of them were involved in the riot. So let's not disparage the whole thing. No, if you're part of a protest where there's a riot arm that's going to break off. You should be ashamed. You should be ashamed because your cause at a minimum is hijacked. But as we know, they have no problem with this. The people that are breaking in the windows, that are lighting things, lighting stores on fire, toppling statues, attacking cops. They're just the action arm. They're the paramilitary wing of this Democrat movement. So remember that every time you see this talked about on TV. Oh, no, it's it's peaceful. Sure, it is in some places. In some places, it's not. And that is part of the power of the movement. You better hide in your home when they march past your house. Because maybe you're maybe you're the, that instance in which they decide to burn down things again. Maybe you're that person, as we've seen in videos, who gets 
attacked by Antifa, who gets beaten in the streets. Maybe not. But you better be quiet. You better stay inside. You better not stand up to them or else. They often use force, often enough that any rational person would be concerned about one of these mobs using force on them. The police aren't coming to your aid. The politics of these Democrat cities have abandoned rule of law, have abandoned pillars of our civilization, quite honestly. So it's all on you. It's all on Americans taking it upon themselves to defend their own rights, their own safety and their own freedoms. Can't rely on the state anymore. Not these police forces in these Democrat controlled cities. But just remember, every time you stand up and assert your rights and say you will not bend the knee, you will not comply. The mob loses a little bit of power. Yet another person who doesn't cower in fear is a strike against their ability to coerce and demand. And they don't like that very much. And I'm here to tell you more of us should do it. In fact, every person who cares about the future of this country should, if they're capable, if they're willing, in whatever way they see fit, stand up rhetorically, however they should, however they can, against this mob. It's on us. Government's not going to do it for us. It comes from citizens. That's why this situation in St. Louis is so upsetting to the Democrats. What do you mean someone could say, not today, not my house? The cops have pulled away. You're supposed to be helpless. We'll deign, we the mob will deign not to burn down your home this time. Maybe next time we will. You better bend the knee. Chant BLM at the top of your lungs. No, this individual decided that he wasn't going to wait to see what the mob thought it should do that day. I think a lot of us understand just what's at stake here. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. That's right. Screaming vulgarities at all the cops in New York gathered together to protect their right to protest, screaming uh, obscenities at them because this is just about bad cops, right? This isn't a a movement of anti-cop hatred because Democrats have convinced themselves that the system is their enemy in any in any point, in any way where they can't control it. They have Hollywood, they have the news media, they have the academy, they have corporate America, they have the Democrat Party. But anything, you know, the law that protects all of us is an impediment to Democrat power. Police who are arresting people who break the law, irrespective of disparate impact on society or irrespective of what the optics look like in a certain place or time. The law is the law. That's an impediment to Democrats. That's an offense to their sensibilities. What do you mean the law is going to be enforced even if it means that some some individuals are arrested a hundred times? That's unfair. Well, has that individual broken the law a hundred times? Like the guy that punched the old lady in the head walking past her in the street in New York City? Well, Democrats don't want to ask those questions. That's too sane. That's too rational. In Seattle, I see they finally decided to clear out the CHAZ or the CHOP, depending on who you ask, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone or the Capitol Hill Occupy protest. Oh, you mean this is Occupy all over again? This leftist revolutionary Democrat movement has come back 
Same tactics, same phrases, same everything. What did they accomplish the last time? Oh, they made some public squares really crowded and smelly. Did they change society for the better? No, they did not. Did they do anything that they could point to, that a normal point, uh, person could point to and say, yeah, we're really proud of that. I'm, I'm sure they'd think of some obscure, oh, there's greater transparency for the cops in this neighborhood legislation, but we know that it's all crap. It's notable that in Seattle, they, they only took action after two people were killed inside of the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. Uh, it's notable that they shut this thing down uh, after there were already casualties. What is it? There's 23 arrests as Seattle retake control of the East Precinct and Capitol Hill. Wait, you mean that it was a massive failure that the mayor, Jenny Durkin, uh, issuing an executive order to clear this area, uh, this only came after it was clear that this was a really, really stupid idea that harmed people, that achieved nothing, and that was all rooted in a left-wing delusion that the problem in society are cops. Cops doing their jobs and enforcing good laws. No, the real problems we have are people who are reckless, who don't think long-term, who act out with violence, who believe that they're above the law, who believe that they're better than cops, they're better than people that are trying to do their jobs every day. Turned out there were a lot of people who had firearms in the area of the Chaz in Seattle. Did, any, did, that, did that concern anybody, that there were no cops allowed in, people walking around with guns? No, no, of course not. Did it concern anybody when a 29-year-old man was arrested who had a large metal pipe and a kitchen knife carrying around with him when he was in the Chaz with no cops around? No, that's, that's not concerning. Of course not. This was all going to be like the summer of love, man. This was going to be great. Nope. Instead, it was a free-for-all zone for Democrat voters who are also left-wing idiots And there was aggravated assault, assault, larceny, theft, rape, and two murders. Two people died because of this little commie idiot experiment in Seattle. Will there be anyone mourning them? Will they be martyrs for the cause? No, they're already forgotten because that's what the left does. Destroys and uses and then moves on. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. You cannot overstate how much the most elite institutions under liberal control have completely lost their minds. Whether it's Yale University or NBC News or McDonald's. Big places in corporate America, Facebook, Google, Uber, nuts. Totally nuts. No one willing to stand up and say, hey, we're all going to be adults, right? Like, we're not going to do this thing where we all pretend to care so much about something we don't really care about because it makes us feel good that we're going to forget about in like a month or two. All because we hate Trump so very, very much. It's absurd. It's crazy. But there's a Harvard student. And remember, it's, it's not just the institutions. The people who work in them get brainwashed. The graduates of these hallowed, hallowed universities Oh, yes, I'm so brilliant because I went to such and such. No one cares anymore. Honestly, if you, if you pay attention to it, you know that this just doesn't matter. You don't know. It's a coin flip. If someone goes to even the fanciest school in the country, it's a coin flip. Are they smart or not? Who knows? Depends how they get there. 
Why'd they get in? Someone donate a building in their name? A lot of that going around the top levels of elite circles. Anyway, a Harvard graduate here named Clara Janover said in a TikTok video. Now, TikTok is the new thing with the, where the cool kids are these days. So I'm going to make producer Mark create a TikTok video so that he can show us all of his cooking secrets and his favorite funky tunes or whatever the kids do on TikTok. Do you have a TikTok account yet? I, I don't. We got to get him a TikTok account. So it is, I will say I have a TikTok account because I want to know what the, the next generation is seeing. And it's, it's a great tool. It, it reminds me of some of those old dystopian movies where they'll just show somebody, you know, a, a, a reel of footage and they'll just keep running it and running it. And, and it's a way of brainwashing people. TikTok is like that. You just sit there you're just watching whatever you're into. You know, people doing little dance moves, people cooking food, people. There are some very good impressions, I will say, of political characters on there. But anyway, it's a Chinese spying site for whatever. If you care about that or not, the Chinese government controls this thing and is harvesting all the data. But a lot of people are going to say, I don't care if China knows that I want to cook the best burger possible and learn how to do a shuffle dance. Nonetheless, TikTok is now Instagram. Too many people over 30 are on Instagram so now it's, it's migrating to TikTok. And this uh, Harvard grad, uh, who I guess just finished at Harvard, I don't know, who cares? She, t- she did teach me a new term, caucasity, which is a new made-up word the left uses. Caucasity is a combination of audacious or audacity and Caucasian. So if you do something and you don't check your privilege, you're using caucasity. Um. I would say that the liberals are using jackassery and that's the defining that's the word that we should use to define uh, their approach to all this stuff. Uh, But they can say caucasity. Anyway, here's the video. Uh, They're claiming it's satire, but producer Mark, please hit it. Next person who has the sheer nerve, the sheer entitled Cassidy to say all lives matter. I'm going to stab you. I'm going to stab you. And while you're struggling and bleeding out, I'm going to show you my paper cut and say, my cut matters too. Uh, she sounds like a total psycho. I don't know. This has uh, now been viewed. It's gone viral. It's been viewed hundreds of thousands of times. And we're supposed to believe that when she's saying, if you say all lives matter, I'm going to stab you. Now, look, I don't think that she's really going to actually stab anybody. But what a, what a crazy thing to say. Harvard grads now walking around saying, if you, if you claim all lives matter, I'm going to stab you. Um, why why exactly are you not allowed to say all lives matter all would include black so oh no because the purpose of saying black lives matter and telling people that they have to agree with it is to get them to obey a political movement by using a phrase that no normal reasonable human being would even think a half a second about before saying of course Black Lives Matter. But the purpose of it is not to see if people really agree. And also, let's let's understand this. If someone really was such a hateful bigot that they had a problem with that phrase, uh, having them say it doesn't change anything. That's another part of this, too. This is all about the optics and the politics of it. You know, why won't you say Black Lives Matter? Trust me, under the under the right circumstances, you can get somebody to say anything if they think it's in their interest. Doesn't change what's in their heart. That's why this whole thing, this whole game is absurd. You're making people agree with something that they constantly already agree with. Everyone agrees with it. So what are we doing? What are you even talking about? But if you go to Harvard, oh, I went to Harvard, uh, you can run around saying you're going to stab somebody if they say all lives matter. Um, 
that would be a very unwise thing for her to do. Now she's claiming that it's satire. It doesn't sound like satire. That sounds like a threat. I don't think it's funny either. Uh, and it's just a, it's even if it is supposed to be satire, she clearly is a BLM wannabe activist. So that's how upset. That's how enraged she gets by the notion that all lives matter. My friends, these people are unhinged. We are living in a period of mass media and mass hysteria, and the results are not good. You have far too many Americans who are bombarded with propaganda. They don't even know what propaganda is. They don't know the origins of the term, of the word, the history of it. They don't believe that they should have any exposure to harmful thoughts. They've created these cocoons of the mind for themselves where they're, they're not allowed to be exposed to anything else. It's just going to be the constant echo chamber of BuzzFeed listicles and MSNBC slams. And then they turn on the Daily Show, which everyone knows stinks, right? It's a bad show. Uh, they turn on this stuff. And yeah, that's right. Oh, man. You would John Oliver said it was like I'm here from Britain and I'm just going to make fun of all the stupid Republicans and curse a lot and hit the table. No, that, that's not actually convincing me of anything. Um, but I do love that the libs love to bring over liberal people from Britain to lecture all of us on how stupid the second, how stupid Americans are. Yeah, thank you for that. We really, really want to hear what they have to say. Sure. Can you imagine being an American and showing up in Great Britain being like, hey, hey, guys, um, what's going on with the queen? You want to explain this to me? Come on. And on a news show. Where you're talking to nothing but Brits. Hey, somebody tell me about the Queen. I don't understand this thing. What are you guys doing here? People would think, you know, you're probably a little out of your, out of your element. I'm just like, but no, no, not here. You know, whether it's you know, CNN importing Piers Morgan or John Oliver, they, they love all oh, the libs. So impressed. So impressed by British accents. Some on our side are, too. I'm going to say, I know, I know. It's, uh, we got a little, bit of that, a little bit of that going on, but... Oh, my friends, this is uh, a period of insanity we are going through. At least I have all of you to keep me sane because there's no other way to understand this other than these people are completely nuts. They've, they've totally lost it. Um, here you've got somebody from the Democratic Socialists of America, which is really just a uh, a group meant to help the Democrat Party, but to, to Pretend that there's something really different and distinct. Oh, no, we're not the Democratic Socialists of America. Um, we're the Democrat Party. Sure you are. But here she is saying that defunding the police is not enough. Play 15. Yeah, there's too many uniformed police in New York City. And furthermore, when we talk about defunding the NYPD, the other part of that is to fully fund social services. I can tell you on the encampment, it's obvious. We have some of the most vulnerable members of our community coming out to have their voices heard and, part and participate in this encampment. And it's clear that what they're saying they need is services, mental health services, social services, uh, adequate housing, you know, affordable health care. You know, the quality education, these are the things that the community is crying out for. And so it's not good enough to move money around and fancy accounting tricks. It's not good enough to just defund the NYPD even. We have to meet that with um, services that are fully funded as well. I mean, this would be laughable in a, a sixth grade social studies class. Yeah, we don't need the cops. We just like we just want all the services to be funded. What? What, what, what services are, are currently unfunded? Does she even know 
Does she know that de Blasio's wife, Sherlane McRae, never elected to anything, but hey, the Republicans were not allowed to criticize nepotism. I've been telling you that this is a problem we're going to run into. Now, what are we going to do? I, I hope I hope that was worth it. We we're all kind of quiet on that one. We'll see. Um, we've got our we got our own problem with uh, that going on in the Republican Party, and people didn't want to. Oh no! I had people say, "Oh no, it's a very wise choice." No, it really is not a wise choice. It's not a precedent we want to set. We don't have monarchs here. We don't have people giving things to their giving things to their family members. But look, I know Bill Clinton and Hillary. I mean, this has been around for a while, but it's really. We, we should not do this. But anyway, Shirlane McRae, who's the wife of the mayor of New York, spent $800 million on some mental health program. And anytime a city mental health program, anytime someone says, what exactly did you do or did it accomplish? It's like, oh, we don't, you know, I don't know. Ask somebody else. There's no, no, they have nothing. They have nothing. What are the social services that need to be? The, the schools in New York, we all have this uh, image in our head. And I, this is true of, of public schools in rough neighborhoods across the country. But schools, you know, you go back all these movies in the 90s of a teacher who's in a rough neighborhood public school and just wants to help the kids and turn it all around and like teaches them some poetry. And then everyone's behaving themselves and being like really nice to each other. Right. Sure. Uh, But you always have the, you know, the ceilings falling in and there's no books. And it looks like it looks like bombed out Beirut in these public schools. Maybe in the 90s, that was true. That's not true anymore. I, I have a friend who works at a school in uh, a public school in New York that's considered the one of the Renaissance schools here. Tons of funding. They're spending more on these students than most people spend on private school in the rest of the country. OK, they have the best teachers in the public school system that they get to pick. They have the best resources, everything that they need. And the schools are br- their facility is brand new. You know, nice computers in every classroom. And guess what? Test scores haven't budged. Haven't budged. You'd say, wait, what's going on? I don't understand. I thought it was just resources. No, but they don't want to they don't want to talk about that. No, they'd rather shut down charter schools in New York operating outside the traditional Remember, charter schools are publicly funded. Right. But operating outside the Democrat power base of the teachers unions, Charter schools that in some cases, I mean, here in Harlem, there's Harlem Success Academy. The school is almost entirely black and Hispanic. And those young those young children, those uh, boys and girls are outperforming on math and science. Their peers at schools across the state on testing. So it can be done. No one's saying it can't be done, but just throwing money at the problem isn't going to solve it. You know what? One thing that charter schools do that. Democrats really don't like there, there, there are a couple of things that charter schools don't like. And I can just speak to it in the context of New York. I know they're different in different places across the country. One, it takes away from the power base of the teachers unions, which are just a machinery for electing Democrats. Give them, you know, the shortest working schedule possible for the teachers, the fattest health and pension benefits possible. And all you have is the teachers union. And of course, the teachers tend to be liberal anyway. But the I know a couple of conservatives. But they'll just make sure Democrats keep getting elected. That's part one. You know what part two is for some of these charter schools Democrats don't like? Parents have to agree to be involved, too. Parents have to sign on for the charter school approach and experience. They have to come to parent-teacher meetings. They have to make sure the child is in school on time. 
So there's a, a component of individual investment and, yes, individual responsibility. And it works. It works for kids who are black and Hispanic in New York who are coming out of uh, you know, Section 8 housing. It works. But Democrats don't like that. That's not the message that they want to tell. That's why they tried to shut down Success Academy in New York. That's why Obama, when he came into office, initially was going to shut down charter schools in D.C. And there was a big backlash against it. His kids were going to a you know, $35,000 a year private school, of course. But charter schools in D.C. for minority students that, you know, predominantly minority students that are doing really well. Whoa, whoa, that's a threat to the, the established order of the public school system, which is about a jobs program for adults and a vote turnout uh, turnout system. Churn votes, turnout votes for uh, Democrats. That's what the public school system is really about. So all these people, all these activists say, oh, we need better funding, whatever. No, we, we've already run these experiments in cities across the country. We know what works and doesn't. They don't want to do things that work. They want to spit at cops, pretend that the problem is the enforcement of law, not the committing of crime, and not look at what's already being done for social services. And why, are su- why is there such a need for social services? I don't know. Maybe the breakdown of the family is a concern for people. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. My question to you is, can't you give us a little bit more on schools that we can get back to school, that there's a great deal of evidence and it's actually good, good evidence. The kids aren't transmitting this. It's rare. And the kids are staying healthy. And yes, we can open our schools. I feel very strongly we need to do whatever we can to get the children back to school. So I think we are in lock agreement with that. Even Dr. Fauci is like, yo, look, okay, we've had months of mitigation, you know, up, down, sometimes up, sometimes down. Who knows? Got a lot of numbers coming in. A little scary. Are you scared? Because I want you to always be scared. That's St. Fauci rule number one. Be terrified. Rule number two, do everything I say, even when it's wrong. And even when I change my mind every two months. But I do think the children should go to the school. But here's the problem. Even though we understand that children are at an entirely acceptable risk level from COVID-19 and we have months and months of data, millions and millions of cases to look at, children are basically fine when they get this. They don't even know they have it. Think about this. We're worried about kids getting a disease that is so dangerous for children that children who have it don't even know. They don't have symptoms. They don't feel sick. They are asymptomatic. Why then, you would ask, is it even a question that public schools would, that all schools would not be open this fall? Hmm. Ah, is that interesting? Remember we were talking before about the Democrat machinery of the public school system? Those union bosses who run those systems and those school superintendents and chancellors and, you know, are making two, three, four hundred thousand dollars a year to push some paper around and talk about, oh, our public school system's doing great. Give us more money, you know? Take the taxpayers, take the taxpayers harder and cash more. Raise their property taxes. That, that's what they do. Uh, they understand the stakes for this fall. Kids go back to school. People can go back to work. People can go back to work. Kids are in school. Things start to look better. The economy starts to pick up a little bit because there's no epidemiological reason, really, not to have a K through 12 education. You're not going to open the schools based on what? Even Fauci knows. And when Fauci knows that something isn't dangerous, You better be darn certain that it's safe. 
Kids need to be in school. Open them all up this fall. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Some of you may be wondering why I seem to have a a, a beef, if you will, with St. Fauci. I mean, for one thing, I just like to do the Fauci voice on the show. That's for sure. It's just fun. You can really lean into it. You know, I want to start doing a short series of videos like Fauci at the ballpark. Hey, you know, a hot dog, usually safe, but I, I cannot tell right now. I don't have the data. Did you cook it to a hundred and... 60 degree internal temperature. If not, there's bacterium. I'm a scientist. I know that bacteria could grow and, and it could give me what we in the scientific community call a tummy ache. And, and I would rather, while I'm here, engage in mitigation with my mask on, watching a game by myself because, of course, no one can go in the stands. You get it, right? I mean, we, we like to joke around about, about, the, about the Mr. Fauci. Alumni of my high school, which I always just think is so funny. What a small world. Uh, but he he is out there telling people to be very afraid. And I'm uh, I'm really sick of this routine. I think enough is enough. And here is an example of remember, we've been going through this now where it, it was what lockdown began in March, so you get March, April, May, June, going in July. We're in at least March, April, May, June, July. We're in the fifth month of this now, of lockdown. And as I've been telling you, we're still in, we're just in semi-lockdown. We're not in a phase of reopen. We're in a phase of lockdown. Uh, we should start to think of it that way because this is oppressive and tyrannical and stupid. doesn't make any sense. The other, some of the, yeah, sure, sure. Some of the stuff about mass gatherings, you know, you could have, you could have stopped that all along, but all this other stuff. Oh, you can't do this. You can't do that. You know, it, it's insane. It hasn't saved. It hasn't saved lives. The data doesn't suggest that it has saved lives. Look at countries have lockdowns, don't have lockdowns. Some do really well. Some don't. How healthy is the population? How much did the disease spread before we know about it? There's all these factors. No one ever talks about that, though. They're just listen to Fauci and you'll be fine. But step one of Fauciism, be terrified. Okay. Well, here he is telling us that even though we're at about, what, 40,000 cases a day, he could see us getting very quickly to 100,000. Play seven. I can't make an accurate prediction, but it is going to be very disturbing. I will guarantee you that because when you have an outbreak in one part of the country, even though in other parts of the country they're doing well, they are vulnerable. I made that point very clearly last week at a press conference. We can't just focus on those areas that are having the surge. It puts the entire country at risk. We are now having 40-plus thousand new cases a day. I would not be surprised if we go up to 100,000 a day if this does not turn around. And so I am very concerned. If we have 100,000 cases a day and hospitals are not overwhelmed, and the fatality rate nationwide continues to go down, there's nothing to be concerned about. We are dealing with this, and we are making progress toward herd immunity. That's what, that's what he's not telling you. We have all these people that are, oh, you know, wait for, the, wait for the vaccine. Might be six months, might be six years, we don't know, but just wait any day now or any decade. We're not sure. No, I don't want to sit around and have my life completely destroyed, ruined, because these morons 
insist that we not learn lessons from the beginning of this lockdown and look at what we now know that we did not know then. But there's something else that he said that is particularly, uh, I I would argue, particularly insidious. Notice it's not just, oh, there's a surge in cases in some areas. He's like, we need to think about this as a surge in cases in some areas, therefore all areas. Oh, yes, it's coming your way. Those of you listening to this right now who are in, you know, parts of uh, Indiana or Florida or North Carolina. Well, North Carolina's had a big surge, but, you know, it, it, wherever you are in the country, you know, if you're listening in Iowa, Montana, Arizona, it doesn't matter. The left is pushing. The Democrats are pushing with St. Fauci at the front of the pack for everybody to get pushed back into lockdown. That's what this is. If the cases get high enough, they'll try to scare you into going back into lockdown. But I'm here to tell you this is what we have not. And I will return. And if in two weeks on this, I'm wrong. I promise you I will come on air and I'll say, guys, I I was wrong. I was wrong about this one. Um, but I'm not going to forget this. So so keep this in mind. There's a there's a reality here. There's a a record that we're establishing as we go forward. Um, I mean, I'm here to remind you that while St. Fauci is speculating about 100,000 cases a day and we're supposed to panic again nationally, not just in one area that's having a spike, the whole country. As of yesterday, the number of deaths in the uh, 24 hours preceding Uh, was 370 across the entirety of the United States. So you have 330 million people, give or take, and that's not including illegal aliens, 330 million Americans, or maybe that is including them, I don't know. Um, Although we always think that number's lower. I digress. And 370 people died from a pandemic that we are told we have to shut down society for again. Um, Look, every life lost is a tragedy. We've already gone through the the false choice of if it saves just one life, shut down all of society. We don't do that for anything else because that's insane. And yes, there are people who are at risk from this disease, older people. There are people who are at risk every day from dying of heart attacks and cancer and and other and, and pneumonia and the flu and other diseases, too. This is just what it means to live in a very large country with a big population. There are going to be people who die every day from different things. Um Here's what I'm, what I'm telling you. If, if we allow them to uh, get their way, they're going to lock us down again. Even though fatalities are 80% down on a daily basis from what they were in April, May. At least 80%. I mean, you were looking at, depending on whose numbers you want, you know, two to 3,000 dead a day at the, at, at the peak of this. And now we're at 370. And... What they're telling us, of course, is, oh, just wait two weeks. Just wait two weeks. That's when you'll really see how terrible this is. I'll come back to you. Mark, mark it on the calendar. I'll come back to you on July 15th, and we will look at where we are. And, you know, if we are under, let's say, under 1,000 fatalities a day from this, that means that this is under control. That's what it means. Because we'll, we'll have seen... You know, yeah, it might it might be 300. It might be 500. It might, but I mean, we're talking about a huge population. We are talking about hundreds of deaths from something that we're going to shut down the entire country of 320 million people. 
So unless we get a unless we start getting numbers similar to that's why I said a thousand, but, you know, thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand a day and not all, you know, if you have one day where it's fifteen hundred and then the next day it's two hundred. This just has to do with the reporting. Right. It's not that one all of a sudden a lot of people die and then, then no one dies from this. But fatalities are the single most important metric you can use to see how under control this is. And then there's another part of this, too. Even if it turns out that we are in a spike and lethality is going up for uh, reasons that a lot of people will be arguing over in the weeks ahead. We already decided this. This was already talked about as a country. This was told to us by all the politicians. Donald Trump has said this. Democrats have said this. We are not going to lock down forever. We have to go on living our lives. So even in two weeks, if I come back and have to say, look, I was wrong that the, the fatality rate did increase in a way where clearly this disease has gotten a, a, a second wind against us. Still doesn't mean we should shut down the whole country. Still doesn't mean we should shut down the whole country. So that, so this is take this day as a marker and we'll see where we are in, in two weeks, because we we've pre- we keep predicting what they're going to do and what their reaction will be and how they're going to try to politically exploit this. And then they act like we didn't predict it and they didn't do exactly what we said they were going to do. And we're still supposed to listen to them. Here's uh, Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, for example, talking about how he views St. Fauci. Play 18. Reality is a lot different. We've had 2,200 and rather 2,424 people die. And New York has had over 31,000. Even California has had almost three times as much as Texas. And remember, Laura, those two states have been locked down the whole time while we have been open. So locking down doesn't work. If it did, those two states would be doing better than Texas. Fauci said today that he's concerned about states like Texas that skipped over certain things. He doesn't know what he's talking about. We haven't skipped over anything. The only thing I'm skipping over is listening to him. You know, you have a lot of doctors on your show from day one. Your doctors have been right almost every time, and he has been wrong every time on every issue. I don't need his advice anymore. We'll listen to a lot of science. We'll listen to a lot of doctors. And Governor Abbott, myself, and other state leaders will make the decision. No thank you, Dr. Fauci. No, thank you, Dr. Fauci. A lot more people have to say this. And uh, I give credit to Lieutenant Governor Patrick here for saying what is obvious. And I've been telling you for months, Fauci has been wrong and wrong and wrong again. Why are we listening to this person? What does he know? What has he told you that you did not already know? Wear a mask. Don't wear a mask. Wash your hands. Social distance. But actually, no, wear a mask. Washing your hands, we think it works. Wearing a mask, maybe. Gotta wear a mask. Don't wear a mask, you're not believing in the science. We can only deal with these so many times. We can only hear them be wrong so many times before we decide that this is just too much. And then you have to recall the politics involved. Democrats want the country afraid. They want the economy frozen. They want things looking bleak and miserable going into November. And they don't have to get us all the way to November in lockdown for that to happen. They just want to extend this out as long as they can so that the up-ramp to get us back to feeling good about the country is more steep. We have less time. They're trying to run out the clock on America's recovery. That's what Democrats are trying to do. That is the purpose of so much of what we're hearing right now from them, and we need to remember that. 
You know, here, here's here's Vice President Pence, thankfully, who is saying that, yeah, if you look at fatalities, we're actually doing really well as a country in handling this pandemic right now. If you look at the per capita numbers, I would add, we did better than all the major countries in Europe, meaning large countries in Europe, Germany, Italy, France, UK, better than all of them. Germany and us are thinking pretty close, but. So what is this storyline? We keep getting told that Trump failed, dereliction of duty, that idiot Biden says. It's all nonsense. P- Pence is saying, look, we have the lowest fatalities. Play clip 13. And because of the dedication of our health care workers, because of uh, our response and the response of the American people, um, uh, we are grateful that today uh, fatalities are at the lowest level since uh, the end of March. Um, we continue to be vigilant as we see rising cases. Uh, we understand that that could that could change. But uh, again, to see the uh, uh, the precipitous decline in fatalities uh, is a tribute to uh, the healthcare workers in this country and uh, to the cooperation and the compassion of the American people. We are beating this thing. We are winning against the virus. You don't hear that from people. You got Fauci, but go oh, 100,000 cases, ah, mass hysteria, dogs and cats living together. No, no, that is not what is happening. Younger people intermingling who are at low risk from the disease with much more testing going on is not a cause for another lockdown. It is getting us to the herd immunity that we need and also maybe an indicator of the virus weakening, which Italian doctors who are ahead of us on this curve in terms of the timing, uh, they, they've been saying that there are, there are prominent Italian doctors who say they believe the virus is weakening. And that's obviously a very complicated process, but it involves some human immune systems that are, you know, that are that are making it when the virus is making it such that when the virus is transmitted, it's a less virulent strain after dealing with certain people who have uh, after dealing with their immune systems. We don't even really understand the mechanisms of this. I mean, keep in mind, we can't cure the common cold, right? There's a lot here that is even beyond science's ability to predict and even in some cases to really understand. But this is the truth of it. And oh, and also remember how we were hearing, oh, we don't have enough. We don't have enough PPE. We don't have the ventilators. We don't bull. Trump gets no credit for this now. We had Cuomo day after day giving press comments. Oh, we're not going to have enough ventilators. Oh, we're going to run out of everything. Oh, we're all going to die. I mean, he was the worst. Cuomo was the worst on this. They were talking about making him president after, I mean, while this was going on. That's how stupid the media is. Here's the, here's the vice president who's been in charge of this effort saying, look, we, we've got, we're all stacked, stacked, racked, and ready to go here to help people, to get them the care that they need. Play 14. With regard to testing, with regard to personal protective equipment, with regard to ventilators, with regard to therapeutic medicines, we are in a strong position all across the affected areas of the country to meet this moment. But in consultation with the states, uh, we're, we're going to make sure that they have the reinforcements in healthcare workers. They've got what they need. They've got what they need. So there we are. There we have it. Um. That's what you're not hearing from other folks. That's what you're not hearing from other people. You're not hearing from the media because they don't want to tell you the truth about this. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. But 
I start off with the premise, Mike, that I'm going to follow the doc's orders, not just for me, but for the country. And uh, that means that uh, I am not going to be holding rallies. Oh, what a convenient circumstance. Not going to be holding rallies. Wow. That's that's because Biden believes in the science so much. Not because he doesn't want to be in front of, let's be honest, a few thousand people, Max, who are like and hear him say, you know, oh, that's why I'm that's why I'm running for head dog catcher of Tuscaloosa. I mean, president, you know, that's what's really good. But oh, no, he's just believing the Fauci wisdom. That's what he's doing. He's just trying to help Dr. Fauci get the message out. No rallies, no rallies. Why doesn't Biden condemn the rallies that are happening constantly on the streets? I'm just wondering if he's so worried about health, if he's not willing to hold his own rallies because of health concerns. And clearly this this virus can be lethal. So doesn't he? Why doesn't he have any words of criticism for the movements going across the country right now? Why, why not? What about that? No. Oh, no. BLM protests. They're they're magically immune from covid-19, at least according to the media. Oh, they wear masks. A lot of people wear masks. They still somehow get infected. We never really get to talk about that, do we? Uh, a lot of people that were working in healthcare, you know, in, in healthcare facilities, they were wearing masks all the time, still getting infected. Uh, that's why it's always it's, oh, oh, the guidance has been mask plus social distance. It's not wear a mask and then, you know, hug whoever you want in the streets and breathe on each other all day. That, that is not the guidance. Uh, but Biden. Oh, what, what a what a lucky a lucky moment he has here. Yeah, I'm not going to do rallies because I, I believe in science. Also, um, you know, sometimes I don't know what time of day it is. And so that's tough to be at a rally because where is the rally? Joe Biden, everybody going to fix America. Sure. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. My friends, just when you thought the country had enough real problems to handle, the Democrats decide to uh, cook up an oldie, but a goodie, you know, uh, one that they they have not yet given up on Russia collusion slash Trump in Putin's pocket. Here we are again. After all this stuff, four years of this special counsel investigation and impeachment, which we, we don't even talk. We don't even think about this anymore. They impeach this president like a bunch of maniacs on nothing on a phone call where he's talking to a, uh, a foreign head of state. And, and he kind of says, yeah, you know, look into this thing about this thing. If you can, if you don't, whatever. I mean, like nothing happens. The whole thing is just crazy. Oh, yeah. So let's impeach the president over this. Oh, foreign influence in our elections. Oh, Joe Biden. Oh. These people are nuts. And yet here we are again. Russia, 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 you know, it's back. And this one ties in Afghanistan, too. Um, let me let me just say this. Uh, and I, I want to credit uh, Rob O'Neill, best known for being uh, one of the Navy SEALs on the mission to and in fact, was the man who shot bin Laden. Uh, Rob put out on Twitter. Uh, guess what, guys? You don't have to pay the Taliban for them to kill U.S. soldiers. They're, they're just going to do it. They've been doing it for 20 years now. So uh, thank you, Rob, for seeing through the nonsense that we're hearing on this. As if, oh, oh, 
a, a Taliban fighter who's offered a thousand dollars to kill an American all of a sudden will kill an American, but he wasn't going to before. I mean, when you really think about this, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, do I think that it's possible that the GRU uh, had operatives that were talking to the Taliban about creating some kind of bounty system to go after U.S. troops so they could create headaches for us in Afghanistan? We all understand the the mirror image of history here that where the U.S. was assisting the uh, the Mujahideen against the Soviets back in the 80s. So we, we know that there's we know that there's a a real situation here. We know there's a, a reality where that could happen. Um, but why are we hearing about this now? And we've been told oh, there's been this back and forth. Oh, it was an intel assessment. It was briefed to this person, briefed to that person. Intel assessments get briefed to people on stuff all the time. Doesn't mean that they're necessarily true. Doesn't mean it's necessarily accurate. In fact, there's a lot of stuff that ends up getting briefed that is um, just simply absurd, right? Simply never going to happen. It's not not true, but they're making assessments. They're working with imperfect information. This happens, right? I mean, need I remind you, you know, we had the whole Iraq WMD thing and there's, there's been some problems, been some problems in the intelligence community when it comes to assessments. Okay. So now let's take a look at the specifics of this. Why are we hearing about this? As I've been telling you, it's because they want to talk about Russia in a context where Russia is the great enemy and Trump isn't doing anything against Russia because he is Putin's puppet. And then here's a part of this that we don't seem to somehow hear about. If Trump were Putin's puppet, why would the GRU be making life harder for Trump in Afghanistan by killing U.S. soldiers. Wouldn't that seem, you know, they they because this is the, the verbiage that they'll use to they'll say, oh, he's a he's an agent of Russian influence in this country. Oh, he does Vladimir's bidding. Well, why would why would Vladimir's GRU, Putin's GRU do this? It just doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. Um, if you believe that and now, I'm not saying the GRU would never put out this bounty. I'm just saying if you believe that Trump is actually Putin's puppet, then why would they do this? But there are there are two big reasons as to why this story. I remember this was leaked. Someone leaked this to the press because you have all these. I, I've been telling you this all along. You're going to have all these people that are part of the deep state you've never even heard of that want to be great heroes for the hashtag resistance to stop the Trump presidency. And here we have an instance where, sure enough, um, they have done just that. But so you have all the all these great heroes of the resistance and they're going to share information, even classified information with the press if it hurts Trump. Uh, this is on the one hand because they want to just talk about Russia again. Even if you know that that's crazy, it doesn't matter. They're not telling you about Russia. CNN, The Washington Post aren't covering this for you. They're doing it because... Democrats in New York and L.A. and Chicago and across the country and, the, you know, all the major blue districts, they still believe that Trump is tied in with Russia in a way that he's compromised. And they still believe this crap. Nancy Pelosi still says it on TV as of this week. So this is what the base wants to hear. It doesn't matter that it's not true. It doesn't matter that it's all a lie. They want to hear this. It gets their base fired up and they're going to keep doing it. But the second part of this has to do with the war in Afghanistan. Trump keeps coming up against deeply, uh, you know, really overestimated and overrated national security minds 
on the on the issue of Afghanistan who they always tell him, oh, you can't pull out. Oh, you can't do it. Oh, you can't end this. You know, Mattis was one of these guys. Bolton is one of these guys. Oh, he can't end the war in Afghanistan. What would we do without the ability to immediately, you know, call in a strike force into Jalalabad? How could how could anybody in in Kansas or Oklahoma or Oregon or wherever? How could they ever sleep at night knowing that we don't have U.S. troops ready at a moment's notice to help out in Kandahar City? Come on. We have other things to think about, other things to do. We've been there for 20 years. If after 20 years, Afghanistan would collapse and crumble into civil war without us, obviously our 20-year presence hasn't had the intended effect and isn't going to. It's not going to happen. That's why we have this deal with the Taliban. I'm just going to skip to the end. Here's what's going to happen. The Taliban is going to do what it can to make it seem like it's you know, not being that violent and aggressive toward the United States as we're leaving, as we're hitting the exits. And then they're going to go after each other and you're going to have you know, tribal warfare. You're going to have factional fighting and and probably some form of civil war in Afghanistan. That's what's going to happen. There, there is no future in which that is not going to happen. Right? We can do we can allow that to happen now or we can wait another five years, spend billions and billions of more U.S. dollars, have more U.S. troops getting maimed and murdered in many cases by their supposed you know, Afghan uh, compatriots, right? These infiltrators who are Taliban sympathizers who kill our guys at, you know, at the shooting range or something because that's how they do things. So enough is enough. But there's also there's also that segment of the national security apparatus and really the national security industry that just doesn't want to see us stop. Oh, we can't give up this mission. No, no, no. Lose our hard fought gains in Afghanistan. I do not know. I know many people who serve the military in Afghanistan and I was there for the CIA a decade ago. I know I do not know a single person in or formerly or currently in the military who served in Afghanistan who thinks that we should keep fighting there. I don't know. I don't know one. Now, maybe some of the people that have become very close with their Afghan counterparts there from training them and assisting them, you know, they have a bond of loyalty uh, to people that have been with them, you know, fighting alongside them. And I can understand and appreciate that, or at least I can appreciate it if I can't understand it, meaning that I've never done that. Uh, but from a policy perspective, I don't know anybody that thinks, yeah, if we stay a little bit longer, things are going to get better. So you have those two factors. This is why we're talking about Russia again. We should be talking about China, which just used its new national security law to arrest hundreds of protesters in Hong Kong. And the crackdown is going to happen. The Chinese Communist Party is going to win in Hong Kong. It just is going to take a long time. They're going to wait till people are tired of hearing about this in the news and everything. You know, they're going to win. And China is a real national security threat to us. I mean, China is a a big concern and it's going to use its economic muscle in ways that will make Americans poorer and less safe going forward. That's their plan. Russia can't even get Russia's got like a trillion dollar total economy. Russia is not not a Russia's biggest economic output is is oil and gas. So they're not about to overtake us, okay? We're, we're going to be okay. The Russians aren't the big threat. The Chinese are the big threat, but you can't even talk about that. Especially if you're in the NBA, you can't talk about it. No, no. If you're the NBA commissioner, China's treatment of the Uyghurs, a, a Muslim minority population in Western China, they, they, they can be put into concentration camps. They are kept in concentration camps uh, by the Chinese Communist Party. 
that that doesn't get any attention. We have all the social justice warriors in the NBA who will, will trash our own police who are honorable public servants doing an overwhelming, a fantastic job keeping us safe until the Democrats don't let them do their jobs anymore. Uh, but we also have all these NBA superstars, multi-multi-millionaires who want to make sure that their jerseys are still getting sold in Beijing. You know, want to make sure that they still have those TV rights for China to broadcast the NBA coming into the NBA coffers. Uh, and you have the NBA commissioner, Adam Silver, making that very clear. Play clip eight. Has that relationship improved? I, I feel it has. Um, we, you know, our, our games are on Tencent, um, the distribution platform in China. Um, you know, we've continued a dialogue um, with the Chinese, with our business partners there in certain cases with certain government officials. And, you know, we, we're just going to keep at it. Uh, we've had a long history in China, and certainly this is a bump in the road in, in our relations. Obviously, I think we all understand each other. You know, as I've said before, you know, we come to China with a certain set of core American values and principles. And I understand also they have a different form of government and they have a different view of how things have been done, how things should be done. And, and, and hopefully we can find mutual respect for each other. Yeah, the NBA, NBA commissioner here wants to make sure he shows all due uh, submission and obedience to the Chinese Communist Party because it's so important financially to the NBA. Look, look, I, I get it. I, I'm not saying that the NBA has to be always about human rights and social justice all over the world or here in America. I just want to point out the hypocrisy of having all these players who and the commissioner who take the side of cops are bad because that's really what this movement BLM is saying. Cops are bad and racist. The system is racist and the cops are racist instruments of that system. But China, totalitarian, uh, freedom crushing, dissent silencing thugocracy, China's got a different way of doing things. That's what Commissioner Silver has. They've just got a different way of doing things. That's right. Bend the knee to Beijing because they're throwing so much cash at the NBA, but spit all over our cops, so to speak, because that's going to make this country better. It's all about social justice. That's the National Basketball Association for you. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Last question, real quick. Some have speculated You're a line sir, that, that, you, that you are subject to some degree of cognitive decline. I'm 65. I don't have word recollection that I used to have. I forget my train of thought from time to time. You got 12 years on me, sir. Are, have you been tested for some degree of cognitive decline? I've been testing and I'm constantly testing. Look, all you all I got to do is watch me, and I can hardly wait to compare my cognitive capability to the cognitive capability of the man I'm running against. Isn't that great? He's asked the Democrats, uh, great hope for the future, Joe Biden is going to save us all. He's asked about cognitive decline. He's like, yeah, I'm testing for cognitive decline every day. What? <laughs> no, he meant like an actual test. Like, have, has a medical professional, I'm constantly tested for my cognitive decline. Proof that I don't have any. Because I'm, I'm tested for it all the time. <laughs> That's Joe Biden. There you go. He's going to fix it all, folks. He's got it all under control. This is the guy 
that we want in charge of of everything. This is the guy uh, that we are going to have running stuff. Yep, sure enough. Um, also, uh, not, not only is he saying that he's not going to campaign because of Dr. Fauci, he's saying that, that the other side, Republicans, are rejecting science. Play 17. Donald Trump is in retreat. Remember, back in March, when I called and he called, we talked about the need to act like we were at war with the virus. He called himself a wartime president. Remember when he extorted, exhorted the nation to sacrifice together and, quote, in the face of this inevitable and invisible enemy. What happened? Now it's almost July, and it seems like our wartime president has surrendered, waved the right flag, what white flag, and left the battlefield. Today we're facing a serious threat, and we have to meet it. We have to meet it as one country. But the president gives no direction, and he pits us against one another. We can't continue like this, half recovering and half getting worse. We can't continue half wearing masks and half rejecting science. We can't continue half with a plan and half just hoping for the best. We can't continue. It's juice time and I want some cookies and I need a nap. What, what is he saying exactly about the president retreating? Now, I think he's he has not been vocal enough on the statues and, and the mobs, but that's a separate issue on, on this issue of COVID-19. Retreat to me is going back into lockdown. Retreat is thinking that there's a future for America in a series of rolling lockdowns while this virus is still out there and going to be out there for at least another six months, maybe another year, maybe another 10. We don't know. We've given ourselves the ability to treat people. We've given ourselves the ability to have our medical providers give the best care they can to people and get as many people recovered from this as, as they can. And we have young people getting this disease and and passing through it so quickly they don't even know they have it in large numbers. And that's how a society, you know, we, we keep thinking, you know, the, the left, uh, they, the left elevates the scientists as a general thing. The left elevates the scientists to, to be people who always have the answers. And the problem is they don't have uh, and, and they love that because I think the state, if they have the, the answers from the scientists, can just do anything that it wants and take over every aspect of your life because, you know, they're the true experts that understand the humility that we have to have in the face of something like this. Our scientific community does not have the answers to this. They might at some point, but they don't right now. We are dealing with a health crisis that is causing social breakdown and pain and misery. And Fauci and all the rest of them have no answers about all the rest of that. They don't know. They don't have uh, a path forward for us other than absolute mitigation effort of the virus continuously while the numbers continue to spike. So what we have is going toward herd immunity with the maximum amount of pain, dysfunction, loss and politicization possible. That's a bad plan. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, everybody, our friend David Harsanyi is back in the house. He is a senior editor over at National Review. He writes great things over there. He does this show a lot. We like David. He's with us. David, welcome. Thank you for having me, Buck. All right, man. Let's start. Let's start with this one, actually. 
because um, I, I see that you you have pointed out something that I'm, I'm also trying to make as much noise about this as possible. You have such uh, left wing luminaries as Ezra Klein uh, making the argument publicly that the disaster of covid in America is the fault specifically of Trumpism compared to what we see in, in the rest of the world. Uh, you had Ben Rhodes, the Obama administration's chief foreign policy propagandist, arguing that we, we have done, I forget what the specific languages that he used, but essentially we're so much worse off than Europe because Trump, of course. And this is just this is just not looking at the actual data and the truth. How are people getting away with this? Well, I mean, how do they get away with anything? You have a, a complicit uh, mainstream media or legacy media that allows them to say things like this and repeats them, them you know, as well. Now, obviously, um, it, it's complicated, right? But when you look at uh, death, deaths per million of the population, which I think is the most important number to look at, right? Um, it, it shows how we react to it, how we treat things, how we... We uh, deal with the initial response. We are better than most uh, European nations that are similar to us, other than Germany. Uh, we, we are better than most authoritarian nations, with that, which have pliant, you know, easily controlled populations usually. Also, we can't trust those countries to give us the proper uh, statistics. Um, people are dying. It's a tragedy. It's largely out of our hands. And the second part of that, though, is also that trying to blame red states and Trumpism and stuff like that is kind of absurd when more people died in New York nursing homes that have died or twice as many people almost in New York nursing homes that have died in the entire state of Florida or the entire state of Texas or the entire state of Georgia. So that argument is just is just really uh, hollow and completely partisan. And it feels like uh, the there's a really a concerted effort going on to not only let Cuomo evade accountability for the disastrous nursing home decision. And, you know, that's that's not just, oh, New York is a dense place that got hit hard. That was a decision he made that I don't think anybody defends now. But not only are they moving the focus off of that problem, they're still you know, they're still give Cuomo a platform to lecture other states, notably red state governors like Florida and Texas, about how they're handling this. As if that's not completely insane. Paul Kirkman wrote a column telling us to look towards New York for their solutions. I mean, um, the the nursery home decision was a deadly decision that was wrong. Now, um, Florida is also dense, right, in general, and Florida has an older population, and yet they didn't have the same problem. So um, I, I think that looking towards New York would be insane. Now, obviously, it's not all, you know, the like you mentioned, there's density issues. There's other issues as well. We, we might not even know what the other issues exactly are. But the, the idea that, you know, conservatives are at fault here somehow is just crude partisanship. It's also idiotic. Or I it, it's not true, a fiction, that Donald Trump was in charge of either shutting down states or opening states. That's, that's a state-by-state, city-by-city decision that was made. And a lot of red states opened up, so you're going to see a spike probably in cases. But, you know, they calibrate as they move along. That's how we have to do it. We're not a dictatorship here. And we have other concerns we have to weigh here. And as you probably mentioned, initially this was about bent, um, flattening the yes. curve, which, which, which every state almost other than the New York and New York area has done. i, I got to so tell you, David, I, you know, I, be- sorry, I was just going to say I have, to your point about flattening the curve, I had some some conservative friends here in New York because they do exist. We just keep it quiet. 
uh, who said, hey, Buck, you know, I, I really, you know, I agree with your analysis on, on COVID and all the stuff, but you got to look at what's happening in, in Houston, man. The ICUs are, are just about to overflow. They, they don't know what they're going to do. They don't have enough beds. They don't, you know, that we're basically, and, and this is, and, and I saw the headlines and I saw the news coverage of this and I thought, whoa, okay, I may, maybe I missed something here. And I dug into the numbers a little bit and no, it turns out that the ICUs in Houston are just kept at a certain staffing level, but there are three phases of staffing level. They can expand. They have a surge capacity in individual hospitals in that system, and they weren't even close to they weren't even close to getting to the point where they wouldn't be able to treat people. And this is specifically in Houston, which was supposed to be the place that was the worst hit. And also, the average hospital stay for people who were being admitted for COVID was two to three days instead of what we had in New York, which was two to three weeks. But you had to dig into the numbers to see that, David. You had to actually look at what was happening on the ground. Otherwise, the national media is saying, oh, my gosh, the hospitals are overflowing. We're all going to die again. Everyone hide under their beds. That's what was happening. Right. And I'm not an expert on, on specific cities, but I know that there's also the, the, you know, if you saw a little bit of a spike going on occasionally, it was about a backlog of elective surgeries that were not allowed for a long time that people are now allowed to go back into the hospitals for. So it's not that simple. I don't know why, you know, you see these spiking cases, obviously part of it's for more testing, but obviously part of it is also from, you know, opening up now. But the of course, numbers have not gone up. Bro, but it's like yeah. this is yeah, we, we, we made this decision, David, like we, we as a society, as a country, we said, OK, we're going to we're going to get this under control. We're going to reopen. There will be some ups and downs in this. But that was always the plan. Now, all of a sudden, we got Fauci and others acting like, whoa, whoa, what do you mean? There's more cases. Yeah, there's going to be more cases. Yeah, I mean, it's not going anywhere. The idea that we can sit around and wait for a vaccine that's going to actually work is, is crazy. We, we may never really work we may i mean there aren't vaccines for tons of viruses so i don't i don't understand what's i mean i do understand what's expected from some people from some people we're supposed to wait till november to see what happens right i mean it's about i mean i believe paul krugman does not want the economy to rebound before the election it's that simple and uh i'm not saying he wants people to die but he definitely doesn't want the economy to bounce back and uh and that again that's just crude partisanship it's 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 kind of disgusting now, I don't listen. San Francisco has only had 600 deaths, right? New York had like 25,000. So it's not just an ideological thing. There are obviously other factors and other things going on. But but I don't think we're the ones saying it's all about ideology, right? They're yeah. saying that. They're yeah. they're making it a partisan issue for the most part. I mean, other than Cuomo, who clearly did something that, that right. I don't I don't got. go on radio and constantly you know bash the governor of New Jersey, which has also had a very high mortality rate, because I think that that was spillover from New York. People getting infected. You know, I you know I, I I disagree with some of his decisions, but you know he didn't have quite this. He, he hasn't been held up the same way as Cuomo. He didn't have. You know, he is not he has not been treated as though he has beat this thing. He has a bad record, too. But I think New York and New Jersey were the first big places to get a hit. And that should be factored into it. Uh, but but, David, I, I want to switch gears for a second. We're talking to David Harsandi of National Review. Uh, you know, you told me that there's a case to be made the butt Gorsuch phenomenon, which is what people say about anyone who supported Trump, mostly for Supreme Court judges maybe for some other things, but mostly because I want the judges. And now we see some very bad decisions if you're a constitutional conservative, including one that, that Gorsuch wrote. But you're saying there's still upside here. This was still a good argument, meaning you should support Trump for the judges. Tell me about this. I'm not saying there's upside. I'm saying it's by far the best argument for Trump. I'm saying that it is maybe the last chance to save many of the constitutional norms that we have. That's what I'm saying. I mean, 
I, I think there's nothing wrong with making that argument. I, um, we're not a democracy. This is not about majoritarian rule. We have every right to want to rely on the courts to stop them. And as bad as Gorsuch's decision might have been, or Roberts's decisions are, they're a hundred times better than the decisions that will be made right now by Hillary-appointed judges. In fact, you know, there are the Janus decision, the the uh, decision we had yesterday about religious liberty. These would not exist if Trump hadn't been president. That's just a fact. No matter what Trump's tweeting or doing. And uh, for me, it's the most effective and the most important part of, you know, the argument for Trump. Now, there could be other reasons to vote against him. I'm not saying that you should vote for him and not vote for him. I don't do things like that, but I'm just saying that that is a really important argument. And I think that people who make the rational uh, decision about the nature of transactional politics uh, and vote for him because of judges have a, have as good a case to vote for him as anyone has to vote for anyone. And before, you know else. before we let you go, David, I, I heard uh, Tucker on his show, um, maybe it was last night or the night before, saying that in his in his assessment, I mean, his analysis, if the Democrats get unified government, meaning Biden wins, Senate, Congress, everything's in Democrat hands, they will move to pack the Supreme Court, which feels like previously, maybe for some people, at least a red line. Do you really think they'd do that? Do you think they'd pack the Supreme Court if they if they thought that that was a path to power? I, I mean, listen, I think many of them would gladly do it if they thought they could get away with it without any sort of repercussions, politically speaking. But I'm not so sure that a Biden presidency that that happens. Um, in 2008, I thought Republicans were finished for a generation. And two years later, there was a huge revolt among conservatives and everything changed. If Biden acts like Obama did or worse, I think that could happen again. And I think he knows that that can happen again and will we'll be a little more careful. At least that's my hope. But certainly Kamala Harris or, you know, these other newer Democrats, I'm, I'm, if they could get away with it, they'd do it for sure. David Arsani of National Review, everybody. Check out his latest, nationalreview.com. David, great to have you on, my friend. You take care. Anytime. Thank you. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, we've got our friend Tiana Lowe from the Washington Examiner back in the mix. Tiana, thanks so much for joining from down in our nation's capital. Hi, Buck. Thanks for having me. All righty. So tell me what's going on in D.C. now. You had been the site of some of the most aggressive protest stuff. What was it about last week? They were going to tear down the Andrew Jackson statue. Have the statue topplers calmed down a bit? Is the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone still functioning? What's happening down there? So last week, I went to a brunch in Clarendon. So 10-minute drive away from my apartment in Arlington, Virginia, still, still very much a part of the D.C. ecosystem. People were outside. People were wearing masks. People were social distancing. And things were open, and it was great. I go downtown to make a return, and it looked like a different nation. It looked like a third world country, still storefronts in Chinatown, either boarded up or destroyed or completely empty. No people, except for homeless people, and everything is defaced. And why is that? It is because these protests are no longer peaceful. They were peaceful for a time, and then it turned into looting, and now it's statue toppling. I believe that things have calmed down a little bit in the sense of the scope of the thing. Um, And I've been trying to be a little bit less online uh, leading up to 4th of July. 
but it's pretty clear that the energy isn't ending. We're on almost a month. No, we actually are on a month of missing buck because it's July now. And it's clear that there is no buck that stops with Mayor Muriel Bowser, Bill de Blasio. I mean, the only reason why the Seattle Chaz got taken down was because they started threatening the mayor's home. Until then, she said, whatever. So what if two black men die within Chaz? So what if women are assaulted? So what if property is destroyed? It only mattered once the mayor herself felt threatened. Do you feel like the Republican Party, I mean, you're down there where you have the gathering of all of uh, the Republican members of the Senate and the House on Capitol Hill. And I know you see them in D.C. It's regular. You'll see these people walking around the street or whatever. Uh, so you're, you're in closer proximity and there's just much more of a, of a sense of connectivity sometimes to these national level politicians. And you, you get the sense the Republican Party is just hunkering down and waiting for the storm to pass on this one, because it seems there are very few prominent members of the GOP that I can point to right now, and if I'm missing some, by all means, who are saying that this is madness and they don't want to make concessions to the mob. They don't want this to continue. They're cutting budgets for police forces in New York. They've shut down the police force, at least in theory, the city council of Minneapolis. This, this should be a moment for Republicans to assert their desire for law, order, and, and safety, and yet it sounds like there's a deafening silence, at least from the Republicans in D.C., Absolutely. And considering I know a couple of the apartment buildings where senior members of the Trump campaign and where the Trump administration live, and I've seen how badly at least the base level of those buildings have been destroyed. So, yes, it is kind of shocking to hear people who, I mean, again, you know, I know that you have talked to the president. It is just baffling to me from everything from supply chains in China during the coronavirus to these riots taking over the American city right now that Trump hasn't leveraged this more because it does fundamentally make the case for his initial campaign. The fact is these Democrat-run cities have been ran into the ground for the last half century, and this is the natural result. It's the natural result of left-wing academia becoming increasingly illiberal and hell-bent on identity politics. It's the product of these cities sort of, I mean, not even just in the past three months, but in the last few decades, uh, no disregard for business, no disregard, no regard for job growth. And this is this really does sort of prove the entire point of the Republican case for our country. How this isn't being leveraged better politically is shocking to me. You're Generation Z. So you get to be our unofficial Generation Z correspondent for some of these I matters. Are you technically a millennial? I, I'm technically a millennial. I'm the last year of millennials. Oh, you're, okay. You're the very you're the very youngest possible millennial. I, I'm like the oldest possible yeah. millennial. So we're at the other ends of the spectrum yeah. here. But uh, it's okay. But you know a lot of Gen Z people. I'm just wondering, you yes. know, w yeah. when they see all this stuff going on, don't they? Did you ever hear people, even maybe who have a, a more liberal point of view or who are, Dem or are Democrats that that are friends with? who are saying, wow, cities are actually going to be pretty unlivable. Like, does, does this ever register for them that everyone who knows what it means to be in a place where law and order breaks down and has been through that before is like, I'm going to get out of here. I mean, New York is having an outflow of, of biblical proportions of people leaving. Yeah, I definitely think so. And I think that we're seeing that, you know, this was last month, record gun sales. Some of the highest gun sales in recorded American history happened in June of 2020. And it makes sense. People clearly do not feel safe. 
you know, I have lived in South Central LA, Paris, New York, and DC, and I have never felt more unsafe and never felt personally the need to carry than I have this month or this past month. Because it is clear that cops are crowding out and there is just lawlessness on the streets where people live in nice areas in DC. So even if they aren't expressly saying it, I think the numbers are telling the story. The numbers of how many people are fleeing the East Village and the numbers of how many people are applying for concealed carry licenses. It's nuts. And, you know, in D.C., if memory serves, not only can you, of course, not carry around a handgun legally, but I think you're not even allowed to have pepper spray. Am I right in that? I I believe I've been told this before in D.C. Yeah. 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 Yeah, No, it's it's there is no means for self-defense. Yeah. Well, palm strike to the nose and then run really fast. That's the best advice we can give you if need be, (laughs) Tina. But uh, thank you very much for joining us. Tell us what's going on down there in the chat. Check out uh, Tina's writing at The Washington Examiner and also look for her contributions to the first. Tina, thanks so much. Thanks, Buck. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Liberty, truth, and great hair. Feel those funky beats. It's time for Roll Call. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton to send us messages there. Please follow us on Facebook if you have not already. Also, BuckSexton.com. That should be your one-stop shop for all things Freedom Hut. Go to BuckSexton.com. Please bookmark that page now in your web browser. Check in. We've got stories posted by the team throughout the day. Uh, we have video, audio clips that go up there. Uh, we got all, all kinds of fun stuff. So please, please do go to BuckSexton.com, um, and you can also listen to the podcast there of the show. So if anyone's ever saying, how do I listen to the Buck Sexton show, just say go to BuckSexton.com, and then they can find the podcast that way. There you go. All right, Andy, first up. Hey, Buck, I've been listening to your show, I think, since you were only on Saturdays. I've listened to many conservative radio podcasts, and I just keep coming back to yours. I was wondering if you could talk about uh, Joe Jorgensen, there is some thought that she may be she may split the conservative vote. What are your thoughts? Thanks for your time. Well, Andy, thank you so much for being with me. Uh, sounds like you kind of duck in and out, but you have been technically original Saturday squad. OSS going back now. Uh, my um, uh, my eight year in media. I'm sorry. Eight year. Wait, let me think. No, nine years. In, it was June, I think, 7th is my anniversary of the first uh, my first day at the blaze i believe something like that so uh, nine years ago a couple of weeks ago was my anniversary in the media uh for whatever that's worth and as for joe jorgensen i don't know who that is perhaps i perhaps i should producer mark do you know who joe jorgensen is i did google her i think she's a libertarian oh that explains well then then now i don't feel bad i mean libertarians come on come on Come on, libertarians, come on. I mean, I like you, but you guys are kind of silly. Come on, come on. I'm just kidding. I love you. Listen to the show. Tell your libertarian friends to listen to. But I mean, come on. Uh, Yeah, Joe Jorgensen for president 2020. I never heard of this person until now. So, yeah, (laughs) another libertarian candidate. 
I don't think people are going to be too focused on libertarian issues as much, although the COVID thing certainly does bring them up. But when you're worried about a mob pulling you out of your home and beating you in the streets, um, I feel like libertarianism is a tough sell. I'm just going to put that out there. I think that might be tough. So, yeah, thanks for telling me who Joe Jorgensen is. I didn't even know. I learned something, I learned something new every day on this show. Donna, next up. Hello, Buck and Mark. Producer Brandon was good, but producer Mark was missed. <laughs> of course, we know. The podcast is always up earlier when Mark is in charge. That is also true. Shields High, Donna from 104.9 WBUV Biloxi, Gulfport, Mississippi. WBUV in the house. We haven't heard from our... WBUV folks in a little while on Roll Call. Thank you so much for listening and make sure that people down there know that they can listen to the Biloxi, Gulfport, Mississippi area. I want to go down and visit. I hear Biloxi is a great town. Same with Gulfport. Um, But we're not supposed to travel, even Fourth of July weekend now. We're being told no traveling, no fun, nothing. Just stay in your home, peasant. Do as you're told, peasant. That's what the libs tell us now. We'll add it to the list, uh, Mississippi, for the uh, road trip tour we're going to take in 2022, yeah. RV tour. Yeah. Uh-huh. Let's wait till the country's not in lockdown from a pandemic for the RV tour, but it'd be fun. Um, I am definitely going to be in Austin. So KLBJ in the house. I'm definitely going to be in Austin this fall for a visit because my brother will be down there. So, I mean, that's 100. I'm definitely going down to Austin. So I'll finally. And I told him, I said, we're just going to put out the Team Buck bat signal. And anyway, we're going to my brother and I, who's also a great guy. Uh, we're going to just be at a barbecue joint in Austin and people can just show up and hang out. That's that's we're, we're keep it real casual. But I want to meet some of the folks. So you know, that's that's what we'll do. So uh, I am going to I know I've been talking about Austin forever. It's all right. Producer Mark wants us to do a, uh, you know, a ceviche sit down in Miami because that's where he wants the Freedom Hut to move. But that's another time. Ceviche? Like is ceviche? that what? Yeah, I, isn't that like raw fish? Yeah. I mean, I like sushi, but I only eat the cooked stuff. You, you're a cooked sushi guy? Yeah, I should have known. I am. I should have known. I refuse let me, to Let eat me guess. Let me guess. You, you like California rolls. I like a Philadelphia roll. <laughs> ah, okay. At least oh. if it's a Philly roll. Hey, this guy is from Philly. It's oh, I hate Philadelphia, but I like the Philly roll. If, what, is the, what is the opposition sports team on, in any sport that upsets you? The, like, what, who is the evil professional sports franchise in producer market? Just one franchise evil? or one city? You can give me the franchise and then you can give me the city. But what is well, the Well, I mean, franchise? the city in general that most of my teams are rivals with would be Philadelphia. It is, okay, I thought that yes. was the case. But what is the one team uh, that gets under your skin the most? See, I don't say it about the team. I say it about their fans, the New York Yankees. Wow. The New York Yankees fan base is the most wow. irritating fan base in sports. I can't even believe They just can't wait to it. tell you, oh, we've won 27 championships. Yeah, how many of those championships did you win before your grandparents were born? Damn, yo. Yeah. Producer Mark, drop. It's a good thing. This is a good thing. This is not on WOR and NYC because, man, the hate mail from, although I think it's mostly Mets fans that listen to WOR. I mean, I've said time. similar on that those airwaves before, Buck. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yankees fans, I hear you. For me, it was always the New England Patriots, but I kind of res- I kind of respect them too. You know, I hate them and respect. It's like the Bulls in the '90s for the NBA. See, I hate them, but I respect them. I'm a Giants fan, so like we beat Brady twice. It's the, the, the two Bowl. most amazing sporting events I've ever watched. I think honestly, were were the two victories over the Patriots uh, by uh, the first by, one was. I mean, they were both great, but the first one was just so much better. 
Yeah. Well, the catch against the helmet. I see. I actually saw these things. I the, remember the Tyree catch and the fact that the Patriots were undefeated. Yeah. Unbelievable. It almost almost as good as the ending of Miracle, producer Mark, which I watched on your say so. Um, you know, that's a real sporting event that happened, right? Yeah. You're aware, are you? Yeah, I'm just saying. So you could just say, you know, the 1980 U.S. hockey team or the Miracle on Ice. But I never saw that real game. I've only seen the movie. Well, were you, you weren't old enough really in, were you even born in 1980? I don't know, you're pretty uh, 81. old. 81. Okay, 81. so you weren't even born yet, so that makes yeah. sense. There we go. Huh. Baby Buck would have been all about the American victory over the, over the Ruskies, though. Sarah, you're kicking us off next year. Hey, Buck, thanks for keeping it real. Love the show. Thank you, Sarah. Finally dawned on me why the mask-wearing mandate brings out the irrational defiance in me. Maybe it's because the media has lied to me too many times. They tell me that life evolved from pond scum, that my unborn child is a mask, not a human, that my daughter might be a boy, that manly men are toxic. They tell me Trump is a racist, that he colluded with Russia. I could go on. They have lost all credibility. Why on earth would I believe them anymore? And now they want me to mask up because they said so. Go pound sand. I'll take my chances living a, cr- a clean country girl life. P.S. Welcome back, Mark, with a heart. You got to welcome back with a heart, producer Mark. I just like to give the fans what they want, and that's producer Mark, go. apparently. Yeah, it's a, just, <laughs> it's one, a little more piece of producer Mark. That's all, you know. Again, don't let, don't let Mrs. Mark listen to this episode. That's all I'm going to say. Um, but, oh, yeah, no, Snow Princess loves producer Mark, too. That's a whole other. Oh, oh, and, and you love She also loves the roll caller. So um, what do we have here next? We have uh, Connie. Connie. Oh, wait, wait. Oh, there was one thing I wanted to tell you guys about that I didn't get to on the show. I can't even tell if this is real or not, but there is a motherboard, uh, which is, I think, a website, has a suggested inclusive sexual health language list that's out. And I mentioned this at the top of the show. So I wanted to get to it. So the gendered language on this list and i don't know if this is uh, this almost seems like it can't be real but i don't know it seems like it's real it's being shared all over social media would the libs deny this would the libs say this is wrong i don't think so gendered language uh breastfeeding should be replaced with chest feeding (laughs) oh that's crazy female reproductive organs should be uh, replaced with internal reproductive organs a uterus slash ovaries should be referred to as internal organs. A prostate should be referred to as internal glands. I'm not even getting it. This gets really. Um, a woman should be referred to as a person who menstruates. And it goes on. Uh, a mother should be referred to as a birthing person. Producer Mark, did you get all that? Yes, I'm taking copious notes. Yeah, yeah. Well, these, are, these are the words that we're supposed to use now to talk about these things. You know when I tell you the left is insane? I don't mean that as a hyperbole. I mean they're actually, they've actually lost their minds. Like they're actually deranged and, and no longer able to think in reasonable, logical terms about issues of politics. And, and about issues of biology, it would seem, too. But, you know, man, I got to say, these libs... Every day, it's like a kick in the internal organs um, or external organs because I'm a dude. Whatever. You know what I'm saying? So where are we now? Oh, yes. More roll call. 
You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, we continue here with our roll call. Connie writes in, I really wish people would leave our TV shows and movies alone. If they don't like them, don't watch them, but leave the rest of us alone. I've been watching Succession with uh, the Snow Princess. I have to say, it's quite good. It's quite good. I mean, I'm enjoying it very much. But yes, if you go back in time, uh, some of the most beloved TV shows of all time would not pass the test of wokeness. They've had to change Simpsons, Simpsons characters and Simpsons content. They've had to, they've got problems with the show Friends, which I will admit I like more than I probably should. Uh, they've had to change stuff from actually has Seinfeld. Um, Producer Mark, you're more Seinfeld guy. Has that ever gotten in trouble for unwokeness? You know, in retrospect, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I have not seen anyone come at Seinfeld yet. Yeah. I'm sure it's see, coming, but... I did see uh, who's the, the Cosmo Kramer guy. I mean, we all saw that. He, he completely lost his mind. Oh, yeah. Racist Michael crap, Richards. Yeah. Yeah, Mike, yeah, it had nothing to do with the show. It just was he, whoa. He went, uh, he went to a very scary place there. Anyway, I, I mean, I think he had some kind of a, ner- a nervous breakdown, but he said some very bad things. Um... But, you yeah, know, I don't think Seinfeld's gotten in trouble, but Friends definitely has for fat shaming, for, uh, you know, LGBTQ mocking, things like that, uh, for sure. Even though Friends is actually very progressive in its own way. Not that I'm going to get too deep into this conversation because people are going to start pressing pause or switching the station. Uh, but they had a guy that got whatever the guy whose wife was actually a lesbian and he's raising the child with her. And, you know, so there, there's some progressive stuff in the show. But, you know, Joey does make fat jokes sometimes. You know, Joey, Joey was uh, Joey was Joey. A very underrated character. I think the writing was quite good. Uh, Josh, howdy, Buck. Very grateful, as always, for your show on KLBJ. Woo, Austin. Yeehaw. Is that a pretty good Texas yeehaw? I'm trying. I'm trying, everybody. No. I am a Yankee. Yes, it is true. Not Just the sports team producer. Let's Mark. never do that again. Yeah, I know. Everyone KLBJ Austin is shaking their head side to side, to side like Buck. We're going to we're going to pull your we're going to pull your Texas card if you ever do that again. And I don't think they just do that randomly. (laughs) I don't know. I'm from New York. This is what I like to think of. Texas ever's like, hey, partner, you know, like I don't know. I've never been to Texas, but I know they don't just go around saying yeehaw. I know. I I spent a lot of time in Dallas and in Dallas, the conversations are more like, oh, you should come check out our artisan cheese company that just opened up in Uptown. I'm like, oh, okay. It's not, they're not all like, hey, partner, let's ride a horse. You know, that's not. So I, mean, I assume it's the same thing in, in Austin. If anything, there's probably more artisan cheese shops and people pickling their own beets and such. All right. Josh writes, uh, the event rising before the liberal black hole, which is Austin. Mm. Have you read the op-ed by Dr. Simone Gold, MD, about the uselessness of masks? She says the virus is 200 to 1,000 times smaller than the pores on cloth masks. It's like putting up a chain link fence to keep out mosquitoes. Also, do you think the NBA will allow messages like stand with Hong Kong on the new social justice jerseys? Shields high. Josh, great stuff. I have not seen this op-ed by Simone Gold, MD, but I'm curious to read it. Um, and I keep saying for people that are that are like mask uh, super users, there's no question that you can get the virus, uh, that it is possible to contract virus like this through through your eyes. And just ask somebody, if you touch a contaminated surface with this virus and then you rub your eye, are you at are is that a very um, clear route of transmission for the, the answer is yes. 
So if you can get it by touching something and touching your eye, the aerosolized uh, virus getting your eye is also a risk. Now, they might say it's a lesser risk, but how, think of how would you even do a study on this? How would you even really know? Uh, so you think these things through and you come up with conclusions that are based in logic and reason and not what is often politicized uh, spokespersons for the scientific community. Um, and as for the uh, stand with Hong Kong, the answer is no, the NBA will not allow that. I guarantee you the NBA will, you know, they, they, they will shut down. They're pretty much like, yeah, China, China gets to call the shots when it comes to the NBA because it's such a big market for them. And they make so much money with NBA games being played in China or, you know, NBA games being broadcast, I should say, in China. That's what I mean by played. Uh, so, yeah, no, they, they will not allow that. That's for sure. And let's see. We have your Richard. Uh, Buck, I'm with you. Cloth masks are worthless. Did I say that? I probably did. Here in Raleigh, they passed a mask mandate that only includes cloth masks. An N95 respirator or half mask, full mask, face shield not included. My wife and parents are all higher risk, so I wear my 3M half mask uh, with P100 filters in the store. So while I'm wearing that, sometimes that will actually work. I'm breaking the mandate. I refuse to wear it outside. Meanwhile, bars that serve food are open. Bars that don't serve food are mandated to be closed. Dance clubs are apparently open also, which makes no sense. This weekend, the closed bars in town either opened to follow the restaurant rules or they identified as a club and opened. Either way, they gave a giant you-know-what to the Governor Kami Cooper. Support your local speakeasy, Shields High. Well, Richard, thanks for the updates, my man. I didn't know, but every state's got its own petty tyranny going on with uh, governors that are acting like maniacs and not basing things in the science. Um, but here we are still being mask shamed all the time by people who even uh, five months ago were saying, don't wear masks. Now they're saying, if you don't wear masks, you're a bad person. Where's the scientific evidence that has changed? Just, just show me the scientific evidence for that change. Not just the, oh, we want to think we're doing something. All right. That's going to be the show for today. Make sure you go to bucksexton.com. Make sure you also Subscribe on YouTube, youtube.com slash Buck Sexton. Gen Z and the millennials in the house who are all about YouTube. Come on now. Go to youtube.com slash Buck Sexton. We got videos getting posted every day. And uh, also check, for, check them out on Facebook. We'll be back tomorrow, same time and place. Shields high.